Welcome to Memphis Machine, a Muddy Pig production. I'm Jonathan Bass. And I'm Carl Casperson, and together we're looking to show off the creative sights and sounds of Memphis, Tennessee. Amen. In this episode, we get to sit down with Hamilton Harden. Beast of a musician. Yeah, we get to that. But uh, he's also the A&R executive for Made in Memphis Music, the Dave Porter tour de force of bringing recorded music glory back to Memphis. I mean, it's already here, but he's, he's really, man, he's injecting a lot of effort. And uh, they've got some killer artists, and Hamilton is incredible to speak with. Very, very chilled out kind of guy, very much uh, comfortable behind the scenes, plays about 30 instruments. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, we, we get, get into how you know there are different approaches. Well, obviously there are different approaches, but we get into the differences between uh, producing an artist and being the artist. Oh yes. And what's it like to try and make a buck? Yeah, with recorded music today, that, that is it's tricky, uh, but it can be done. And we talk about that. Um, you can hear his stuff. I know we'll plug this at the end too, but uh, his record, just want to say, on Spotify, uh, he plays. He played all the instruments pretty much, and sang, and cooked. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, enjoy this episode. Hey, Hamilton Hart. Hey, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for meeting with us this morning. We are again at uh, Opera Memphis facility. The lovely, modern, architecturally designed facility of opera-ness. Super nice that they're allowing us to use this. And and we hope if you... uh, They are featured in the first season? Second season? (laughs) (laughs) I can't remember now. It's the first season. (laughs) It was the first season. Last episode, first season. Yes, yes. We sat down with Michael and Ned. So, hey, if you want to hear what's happening with... uh, Just a little throwback with uh, opera happening in Memphis. But... Our guest at hand. Um, this gentleman here has uh, how many fingers do you have in the music pie right now? You've got my hands are very dirty. Your hands are very mm. dirty. Yeah, yeah. Multi instrumentalist, <laughs> uh, producer, song. You consider yourself a songwriter? I know I you, do. And you write, yeah, songwriter, yeah. Uh, orchestrator. Uh, he's like uh, he's like the the Kevin Bacon six degrees separation from Quincy Jones. <laughs> I would say. How about that? Nice. We can go Did with you that. like that? Yeah, yeah, I like that. I don't have you know just uh, I w- it'd be nice to meet Quincy but hanging out with Hamilton that that that's okay that's a good second right there right. is that, is that right? Hamilton packs up and walks out the door. <laughs> <laughs> hey um, we always start with the biography because that seems to be the place to go to build off our conversation so you were born at a young age yeah I was born at the age of zero yes and uh, yeah. And then and then and then you just started playing right pretty much out of the womb. It and there like, we have right. it. That's yeah. a story. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, um, uh, uh, yes. And uh, care to elucidate any more? Uh, uh, so yeah, coming up. Yeah. Like, musical family. <clears throat> uh, slightly. My mom played a little piano, um, but I think for me, the church experience was huge. Church. Um, yeah. My uh, brother was a drummer and uh i say was because for some reason as great as he was on the drums he went straight on the artistic route so he went straight to oil paintings and graphic arts and yeah and so we both sort of went to the uh for both music and art except he went hard left and i went hard right uh i went music he went visual arts yeah but anyway um he was a drummer and played a little bit of piano 
And so growing up, I just assumed like everyone does this. We had like a stand up piano in mm-hmm. our house mm-hmm. and it was just a regular thing to hear my mom play and sing and then for my brother to play stuff and, you know, to go to church and just experience music. So uh, for me, it was just something I thought everyone did, but it became evident that that was an area of focus for me probably when I was about five. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, you know, all the other kids maybe on the basketball court playing in the sand, I was picking out notes one one finger at a time on the piano and then I started playing drums um, about the same age as five yeah and then um, I feel like I'm boring already no No, I I mean because it it it, it informs it informs where where we arrive at later in the conversation Ohio am I wrong there yeah Columbus Ohio okay right Columbus Ohio so um, in so by uh, nine or ten I already started playing um with the local um gospel choir at the university there um i guess fast forward to sixth grade i started playing uh saxophone as a band instrument mm-hmm. alto saxophone um and the band experience was real cool because i was you know especially after school i was in a room with a bunch of instruments so you know the school owned you know trumpets the school yeah. owned brass and stuff and xylophones uh bass guitars and guitars and all that stuff so it was sort of like a playground um and i just like to make music so um that's where that started shortly after i would say seventh eighth grade i started playing electric bass um of course in church as well because at my church we had I started as a drummer, but we had about nine drummers in the church. Right. And I got upset because I'm like, I want to play, and y'all are taking all my time. And then, of course, the older drummers get to play first. So that's where I'm like, okay, I just want to make music. So I started Mm -hmm. playing keyboard. Um, When those chairs were taken, I'm like, forget that. I'm going to play bass. (laughs) So that's where I think the the multi-instrumentalist thing started – taking place out of necessity yeah like, out of necessity because i just want taking my stuff yes <laughs> i really you know and each instrument has a different voice you know what i'm saying yeah, like right, you can yeah. say something on the flute that you can't say on a drum set and vice versa mm-hmm. i can say stuff on the piano that i can't say on a bass guitar mm-hmm. and vice versa and so you know i think one of the commonly asked questions people ask is uh you know which is your favorite instrument or what is your yeah, primary instrument sure I, I have trouble answering that. One, because I feel like if you treat one instrument as a primary, you treat the others as a secondary. Mm-hmm. And I think I like to treat, I may be better at some than others, but right. I like to treat them all like I'm putting my all into it. And then secondly, like I just said, each instrument has a voice um, that's real specific. I remember the first time I plugged in a guitar with a distortion pedal into mm. a big amp mm. at Guitar Center. <laughs> Oh no! I that that's just a voice that I've never experienced before, and I was like, I want to deal with guitar. That's great, you know. Yeah, I mean, I I remember re- I used to read Bass Player Magazine. I don't know why I just fell off the Bass Player Magazine bandwagon. But <laughs> Sorry, I, Bass I re- Player Magazine. But I remember like <laughs> like when uh, shout out John Pat. It was Anthony Jackson. He's you know, which I just I've been following him for a while, and. uh John Patitucci came up in the conversation, and, yeah. and, and, you know, 
the opinion was like, you know, well, you got to stick with one. You can't, you know, really. You know, Patatucci is an anomaly. For most most mortal humans, you should just. And I always thought, I don't want to play upright though. I want to do both. Why can't yeah. I? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It was just that was like, you know, he was very much like, oh no, that that that's, I wouldn't recommend that to any of my students. I thought, man. <laughs> but he does kill. On I mean, he is ferocious. Absolutely. I mean, his voice on electric bass is yeah. ridiculous. So, but anyway, um, so yeah, don't you feel sorry for uh for white churches that just don't have the <laughs> the, the musical? I mean, no, I, I'm thinking like. <laughs> Yeah. Like, like, what is it like that? That is uh, this phenomenally rich artistic uh, soil, you know, available to and and. But I mean, that that's that's kind of like a large. I mean, is, is every church like that? I mean, was was your church unique? I think my church was a, a little unique. Yeah, I think in the sense not that we just had great music, but the musicians that played there, even the the older older uh, maybe mothers of the church that played piano or organ. Mm-hmm they played with their heart like i saw i think what was more important for me rather than just hearing the music was actually seeing like sweat beads come down their face when they're playing Mm. and veins in their neck like when they're you know when they're singing like there's a um it that became evident to me that music is much more than just something to do it is an expression of who you are and to see people express themselves musically who from a musical standpoint may not be playing the most sophisticated uh harmonies lines or may not have the most um vast musical um vocabulary yeah but what they knew they play with their heart yeah what they sang they sang with their heart and so now that i just i I think i realized that later in life that how that affected me in the stance that i I can't play just laying back. Like if if we're gonna play, let's play. If we're not, if we're just gonna be like a cute play tunes, uh-huh. can we not do that? You know what I mean? Can we like that? That's intense. Got, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, and that's got to be an important threshold to where you measure the stuff you're doing today, right? Right. I mean, it's it's it, it's sink or swim. I mean, like if 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 you're gonna put all this time and money into a track that you're producing, and yeah. it's just kind of yeah, like yep. my goodness, that's wasting everybody's time. The listeners' time. Yeah. Um. So <clears> all <throat> so all these efforts. Uh. You, you did mention that you did major in saxophone, right? I did. Uh, well, I mean, you had to land. I mean, was that just? I ended up getting my degree in saxophone. The funny thing is because uh, I was going between piano and saxophone. Okay. Saxophone is much easier to sight read because you have one line. <laughs> As opposed to piano, you have like, you know, six or seven notes on one beat. Right. And so I was like, let me just do this. Um, And so, of course, I also tell people that some people are, you know, amazed by the multi-instrumentalist thing. But I sort of see it to simplify it as family groups. Okay. So, for example, because I play saxophone. Yeah. Flute is very... I mean, almost the same exact finger, just different embouchure. Mm-hmm. Uh, clarinet's very closely related. Mm-hmm. Um, bassoon is closely related. Bassoon's weird, right? Yeah. It's weird. That, that, that's a difficult... The most difficult is clarinet, though. Really? I call clarinet the death I've, stick. I've heard really? that. Really? The agony yeah. stick. I mean, there's it's it's a very complicated instrument. I think that was would be the first instrument I quit. Like, mm-mm. I'm wow. not doing the same more. I wow. pawned mine. 
Wow. I'm like, I'm done with this. I, I'll play soprano sax and, and sound, I can make it sound dark if you want like a, uh, yeah. a clarinetti sound. Forget one of those Dixieland gigs or something. Right, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, and then, you know, you know how bass and guitar are sort of related. Yeah, sure. Uh, if you play a valve instrument like trumpet, you know, I can play baritone, yeah. tuba, mm-hmm. you know, euphonia. Mm-hmm. Um, so I sort of look at it as like families. Um, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I like that. Um, so these efforts, uh, you, the, the record, um, the name of your record, the the the, the multi, your, was this like your debut or like your your your? Uh, uh, I was going to say cotillion, but like this is the, the like. Have you had other projects that were multi instrumentalists? Just want to say, yeah, yeah just right. want to say. So that that came out in twenty fourteen, but when I was nineteen, I came out with a project called the Resurrection Suite. Uh huh. Um, S U I T E, and um, uh, that was my first record. I don't publicize that now because, of course, when you're 19, yeah, uh, it's like, man, I could have done that better. I could have done that better. Mm-hmm. Now, listening back to it yeah. now, but um, I was proud of it at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when I started doing a lot of string arrangements and um, was just it was a it was I think it's a good platform to do yourself yeah you know when you're playing for other people you're constantly and this is there's nothing wrong with this by the way when you're playing with someone you give them what they want i think doing my own project when i was 19 was my first time doing something that came from me um of course it's more on the artistic side than the commercial side so i wasn't really concerned about it reaching the masses and everyone at the mall like singing my songs but it was much more important for me to uh express in our in an artistic fashion um something that i feel came from you know my heart yeah so i did that when i was 19 so and then fast forward probably 12 years later in 2014 is when i came out with just want to say yeah and uh that was a whole lot of fun to do um Musically, I had fun. You know, even I think I had fun just from expressing a sense of humor with some of the music. I did like a sort of a, a, a what do you call it? A fluke track. You know, just one of those. Okay. okay. Just just so happens. <laughs> yeah. That was the first track that came up. Oh, great. <laughs> when John yeah. pulled yeah. the record, he and thought, tell what you said. You know, I, I'd listened to it before. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think last year, whenever y'all met her or something, and, and, and I, was, I liked it. Yeah. And, but I didn't listen to the whole album, you know. Yeah. And, and so I was li- in preparation for our interview, I, I listened back to it. And that was the first thing that came up, and uh, apparently I hit shuffle play. Yeah. And I was like, hmm. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's really. And of course, the next shot that yeah. came up, you're just, you're hitting, you know, uh-huh. it's, it's hitting and, and it sounds like, you know, return to forever or something. Yeah. You know? it's like, yeah, I was like, what was that? <laughs> yeah. I, I just did it because, uh, you know, doing um, <laughs> primarily when any music that comes from me, it comes from a uh, Christian standpoint. Uh-huh. So one thing that I sort of, me and other musicians that uh i play with sort of make fun of are a lot of the um generic uh christian things that are said that are unbiblical or that people just sort of so i sort of threw that in a song musically i I put auto-tune on and the wrong key right um (laughs) i played the the wackest trumpet solo i could the wackest guitar solo and what were the what were the background singers saying uh shadrach meshach and (laughs) (laughs) it's worth a listen well yeah you know just having fun but i think the musical journey 
is is part of that you know it's it's if you're expressing life all of life isn't serious all of life isn't happy all of life isn't sad and i think and i'm not saying this to to dog what's happening in the gospel music or anything but i think it is sort of one faceted uh and it doesn't really give the true not that i am but i'm trying to do my best to give a more clear picture of the full uh, ranges of emotion that happen in the Christian walk mm-hmm. musically. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm actually working on some music now that I'm looking forward to come out in uh, hopefully by 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, much larger, or- much larger, larger orchestration. Excuse me. Uh, we can edit that out. Maybe, maybe not. Anyway. Um, you like loggers. I like, yeah, I like logger. Yeah. That's what, yeah. <laughs> yes. But much larger orchestration. Um, a lot of effort going into it right now um with even with like you know 50 voice choir and some it's going to be a so one of those records but um this record is going to be centered solely around the whole record about the coming of the second coming of jesus christ yeah so what does that feel like what does that sound well, like that's pretty epic just from the description right that's yeah. what i'm trying to yeah. to yeah. convey musically and sounds have just come in my head that don't have rhythm it's just sort of like sounds some of it is rhythmic some of it is bluesy some of it is uh rubato like it's it's, yeah. it's a lot of sounds yeah, right. and i'm when those sounds come to me i'm just like okay i feel like i have these sounds in my head for a reason and it's on me to put it down uh so that's coming soon yeah. So when you when you make your arrangements instrumentation wise, yeah. uh, who I mean, what informs and what we use for a reference typically? Um, it's weird. So I always hear a finished product in my head, mm-hmm. and the journey is trying to get out what's in your head onto uh, a media a medium uh, yeah a medium where everyone can hear it in their head too <laughs> right uh-huh. so sometimes i feel like you either have three um three options with that option one you're not exactly going to get it right what's mm-hmm. in your head option two you nailed it exactly what you heard in your head and then option three is in the process of trying to get what's in your head you actually come with something better okay so that's sort of what happens and i feel like it's sort of a mix of all those three sometimes i'm like man i didn't land this like i really wanted to yeah. uh, and then sometimes i'm like whoa that was not planned right and, you know so that's sort of a cool. mix of it all so, so that, that's in progress right now yes and how how, how large uh i mean it's silly to say cd mm-hmm. length thing but how, how how minutes like how large uh um so the cool thing is CDs, the physical CDs aren't selling anymore, and it's all digital media, which means I'm not necessarily limited by time. I think roughly I'm looking at about 12 to 13 tracks that range from three and a half minutes to the longest piece is about 14 minutes long. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. the one that sort of goes with. I have, uh, you know, fifty voice choir, um, very large orchestration, um, string section, rhythm section, um, and the rhythm section goes from like a electric bass uh, gospel 
type of sound, contemporary mm-hmm. gospel type of sound, mm-hmm. to more of an acoustic uh, jazz quartet yeah. type of sound, all in one track. And so yeah. I got different players playing it. Um, on, on just want to say, I played most of the instruments, but on this record, there are interpretations that I know certain people will nail yeah. that I won't that I'd be trying to do that mm. I'd rather just get them in there and plus the whole the, the whole multi-instrumentalist thing has sort of has sort of been like a, um, a it feels a little gimmicky sometimes mm-hmm. and I don't want to be I don't want my music to be um, uh, to suffer from me trying to fulfill a gimmick interesting yeah uh, so some of this music I am going to play everything some mm-hmm. of this music I may just be conducting um, the most important thing to me is that this music comes out as pure as possible. Yeah, yeah. Now, is, uh, how how Memphis how Memphis centric is, is this project? I mean, are, I mean, obviously, with made a lot of networking mm-hmm. and contacts along the way. Is it? Are you pulling folks from all over the all over the world, or mostly Memphis, or how's that working out? Uh, from both. Yeah. Both. So some of the um, it sort of depends on how it's going to be recorded. Like so, for the Fifty Voice Choir thing. Um, I'm probably going to be going to uh, Nashville mm-hmm. and um, pulling some of the university choirs. Yeah, they're into that. Um, and then for some of the larger orchestration stuff, if I'm recording it with, like, in a live room, that's going to be recorded one way. But some of the stuff I may be pulling two or three players at a time. Yeah, to create the faux large orchestration. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, so you now you were uh where'd you get your degree at again? The Ohio State University. The Ohio State. You University. know if if you know anything about the Ohio State University, if you don't put that the in front of there, uh-huh. uh that's you, bad. It's bad. Uh, okay. I get angry letters and emails and <laughs> Th- that's me like trying to talk about football down here. I just right. college football. You, I'm just like I don't I don't know, man. I'm yeah. sorry. You're not alone. Yeah. <laughs> Banana pudding's a thing too. So so um. So, but uh, from there, is that when you moved to Nashville and did the Nashville thing, so to speak? For, yes, for a while? I moved to Nashville in 2011. Yeah, and um, started working on the record. And then it's funny, man, to get a record completed is so much effort. There are so many times where I've gotten like 75 percent done, and it's like I just, I'll just let it go. And they'll say, you know what I mean? It's like you get wow. to complete a work. Yeah is a great feat and i'm saying this to pump myself up because i i'm sort of in that process now like like, we got to get this get this out to the world so um but yeah uh took me about two and a half years uh to complete uh that record and that was mostly done uh at your home at your home crib at my home studio yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. and then uh maybe doing some other I mean, how much studio time did you book with that was it all at, at the house or uh on a couple of songs i went back to columbus ohio to grab some to get some uh uh voices mm-hmm. specific voices i want that lived in ohio so i booked some studio time there yeah. mm-hmm. um and then for some of the more open sounds i used like an auditorium space mm-hmm. uh with my recording software sort of what like what you're doing now yeah. with this podcast yeah um and got some of that open ambience cool now did that i mean did that do uh, did that help further your networking did that kind of help create a little little buzz for you in, in town I, I think it definitely did um not in the sense of like 
going to the mall and you know people oh, it's Emma. oh my god it's Hamilton Harden no, that's not the response but from a lot of the from the arts community yeah industry wise industry wise even artists that I've always um, respected uh, have have reached out to me and said they heard the record and yeah. and and so I feel like whether the audience is 10 million or 10 um, if if you feel that your specific purpose, God-given purpose, is to do something, um, do that and let Him take, let yeah. God take where the purpose goes. Right. And so that's sort of been my approach. But I, you know, I, you know, I think amongst the arts community and musician and even singer community, um, there are some circles I go in where a lot of people are like, "Whoa, I heard your record that changed my life in some way." You know, even to the extent that some people I've had at least probably five or six people say that that record has stopped them from committing suicide that's pretty heavy mm, wow heavy yeah you know and, and what if you know I didn't do that because I'm like well this music isn't going to reach the masses let me do something that's going to reach the masses well and I'm not saying that for those that are reaching the masses that's cool but for me I just always go back to what if I didn't stay true to what I felt I was led to do. Uh huh. You know. Yeah. yeah. So what about? Uh, can you get into Nashville? What you were doing there? And uh, yeah, when I moved to Nashville, uh, I wanted to get plugged into the session scene, mm-hmm. but what I actually started happening, I got w- way more plugged into the touring scene. So I started touring a lot, and most of the artists, ironically, that I toured with, none of them lived in Nashville. Yeah. Most of them were in L.A. Um, but the funny thing that happens, it's almost like if you move to L.A. and say, I'm doing movies, mm-hmm. or you move to New York and say, I'm doing jazz, people sort of take you more seriously because of the clout of the city. Right. Yeah. So if I'm a jazz musician in New York, all of a sudden I'm serious. But if I'm a jazz musician in Memphis, oh, oh, okay. That's oh, nice. That's right. nice, yeah. What a so great hobby. I, yeah, 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 great hobby. Yeah. So when I moved to Nashville, all of a sudden I'm a Nashville producer. Right. I'm a Nashville session guy. Uh-huh. And so that I used it worked in my favor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started touring a lot, doing a whole lot of traveling. Um, and I did record, but still I did more recording from my home through and, and sending files, you know, different parts of the world i mean even australia like Mm. i just started getting a lot of business from a lot of different areas and then um through all the touring and through all the recording um my name sort of got around in different circles and i got a cold call from uh david porter here in memphis and um he's i guess heard my name from someone in nashville that highly recommended me and uh, I came here, had lunch with him, and he shared his vision of, of what he wanted to do for yeah. um, for the city of Memphis through this company. And I think one of the, the strongest things that I can remember is a look in his eyes when he said, whether you move here or not, I'm going to do this. And it was a very, uh, I, I could just tell he wasn't being jive. Yeah. You know, some people say, oh, I want to do this. And it's like, okay, right. let me know when it happens. Now, when I saw it in his eyes, he was very... Um, adamant about what he wanted to do for the city of Memphis through music. So um, I relocated here and have been working with that with uh, Made in Memphis Entertainment yeah, ever since. That's right. Yeah. So is, is 
about three years now? Three years. I, yeah, I came here January of 2016. Okay. Yeah. All right. And and was, I mean, going back to your Swiss Army knifeness, is, mm-hmm. I mean, is that definitely, um, are, are you still being, do you still lend those qualities or is it more of a producer's headspace or what, what your role? It's much more in a producer's headspace because yeah. the, the style of music, the genre that we primarily deal with is done more, um, what's called in the box. Yeah. And for those that don't know what that is, it's more in the box being the the computer Mm -hmm. as opposed to live instrumentation. Um, I know the goal is to sort of bring, one of David's goals is to bring back the live elements that sort of make the, you know, when you got real players, you got real emotions and feelings that come out of that. Mm -hmm. So one of his goals is to, to start integrating that back into the music. But in order to do that, you have to, uh, as he says, function from a position of strength. Yeah. So when you develop a strong audience, then you can start go, going a little left and maybe add a little more artistic uh, right. qualities into it or more live instrumentation, and your audience is going to stay with you. Yeah. So um, this might be a two-part question, uh-huh. but uh, first, I think... Uh, we might want to get into like your maybe your day to day at mm-hmm. Made in Memphis, um, but maybe before that, um, you know, you mentioned we talked about producing and all that. And I think for most people, that is sort of a that's an ambiguous term, both in and at, for people in and out of yeah. the industry. Can you talk about maybe what you think or what you do as a producer? Sorry, sure, I bump my mic. Well, that's right. As a producer, um, it's sort of. I think well. I think what I explained before, as far as hearing the music in my head mm-hmm. first and then putting it out, that's sort of what happens on a daily basis. I think with commercial music as opposed to art- artistic music, you have to. Um, there's a lot more comparison that needs to happen and evaluation that needs to happen in comparison to what's in the market right now. Mm-hmm. So if we're hitting a um, urban market which is different than urban AC, which is urban adult contemporary. Urban music is more centered towards the 18 and 25 as opposed to adult contemporary, more of the 25 to 40. Mm -hmm. So if I'm looking strictly at the 18 to 25, I have to listen to what that demographic is into. Mm -hmm. And then in hearing that, now I'm listening to the songs that are being written or that I'm co-writing with and making sure it is competitive with that music um, in the sense that it can be played on the same radio station. At the same time, you don't want to sound exactly like a carbon copy of what you're hearing. So we have to flip it a little bit in some way uh, with the production or with the way we mix or the way we produce that will uh, give the artist a little more individualism Mm -hmm. from all that's happening in the marketplace. So what do those conversations end up going uh, toward? Like, oh, let me say so your artist is like pretty adamant about the sound that they have. Sure. Right. And you're in a situation where, eh, well, you know, I, I think it really needs to go this way. And yeah. So where, where does that line, you know, come in? It's a hard line. Um, yeah. I think initially, at least the artists that we've worked with, uh, first artist is uh, Porcelain. Right, and the second artist that we have right now, her name is Jessica Ray. Mm-hmm. Um, both of them have been very um, um, pliable in the sense that they are they they're not like hardhead. No, I want it this way. Right, uh, because when you first sign a, a new artist, 
I think there needs to be um, uh, an understanding that they need to be a little moldable at first mm-hmm. uh, until they're able to stand on their own two feet and articulate what their vision is. And then I think the the further they get into their sound, because when they first start recording, you have an idea what you think your sound is, but you don't really don't know what works and what doesn't work until you do it. Right. And so after then you cut, you know, 15, 20 songs, hopefully maybe even on the 10 side, 10 songs, mm-hmm. you start to get a sound, a, a, a realization of what your sound is. And I think once that happens and they start to lock into what their sound is, then I start, we start backing up on the A&R side and saying, okay, what do you feel? Do you like this song? Do you like the way this track is going? And start to get more feedback from them. And then when they start touring and going out live, performing, and they see how audiences react or don't react to certain musics, then they have a greater... um, they have a greater um, knowledge base to pull from or analytics to choose from to say, you know, this song people responded to. This song, the demographics of, you know, uh, black females 18 to 25 versus uh, white males 25 to 40. You know, you start to see these analytics and then we can start to more um, intelligently pick songs that are going to be right for the artist. And so by the time it gets to the masses, you know, hopefully we have a, a, a more um, just a concise understanding. Good. So, so yeah, this is this is where we can jump into the rabbit hole of how do I make a hit record? Yeah, um, because, you know, you brought up radio. So terrestrial radio is still a thing. It is. Yeah. It, which is kind of mind blowing to me because, well, I only listen to Weevil, W-E-V-L, some pretty much. I mean, my girl's kind of get crazy with me because a lot of Americana stuff comes on but when I turn that on. But uh, overall, I mean, uh, what the point I'm trying to make is that radio for me, it, it, it's all streaming pretty much where I'm living at yeah. right now. And so how... So you're, you're in this unique thing of... Uh, because the, the music business today is so... Um, it's like when Rome was having conversations with Luther saying, if you do this, it's all going to go bananas. And, and, and they were right. Yeah, you know, yeah. as far as <laughs> Roman Catholicism, probably you know everything is kind of went cuckoo. You know, as far yeah. as like uh, just all all over the place. And you look at someone like uh, I was watching um, late night show with some uh, uh, post the Post Malone story. You know, yeah. here he is, just like I don't know, hanging out in, a, in an apartment in L.A. and put something on SoundCloud, and now he's contributing to the Spider Man soundtrack. Now how? Yeah. Now what? Why? Why is that a thing? I don't know. <laughs> But um, so I mean, so you, you're you're having you know, like like you have uh, uh, the blessing of this uh, of uh, you know David Porter's uh, you know capital and and the, and the machine uh, the the label, but you're still trying to crack this egg. That's kind of like it's kind of crazy, right? Yeah, and I think the smartest thing that you can do is look at this as a collective force and use the objectivity of a team yeah as opposed to well i think this is a hit because i'm a 37 year old black male yeah if our target target audience is 18 to 25 year old black females i can guess at that right and i may be right but i may be all the way off and so 
I got to put down what my guess is. And then once I put that down, you test it in that market and you find out what uh, what the response is. Yeah. And if the response is, oh, we love it. It's one thing. If you look at the response and people start just looking at scrolling through their cell phones while they're listening, they're really not engaged in the music. So something about yeah. that isn't keeping their attention. Yeah. And of course, because we don't like to waste time, we want everything we do to be the the hit. Right. But it may take uh, you know, fifteen, twenty tries before you start to see something that really connects with people. Right. And then like is as a label with a label head headspace are you thinking i mean how i get how many streams of income like how, how does it work out nowadays like are you, are you trying to shoot for a film placement and radio's a thing and then streaming like is, is it all just you're just trying to cast as many absolutely know, right just i think that's, that's all, right? that really is the smartest thing to do um because anything with the word industry after it mm-hmm. is about money sure yeah. so the food service industry <laughs> is about you know making money with food mm-hmm. so with the music industry our goal is to try if we can get a placement on the next spider-man soundtrack that's going to be some great residual both income from a royalty standpoint yeah and pu- publicity for yeah. our artist yeah. um if we get placement in a pepsi commercial if uh you know you hear the song in, in the back of uh a, a tv show network tv show or if you hear it on radio as you're saying terrestrial radio uh, if your friend is streaming it, then you want to stream it too. If we can get it as many places as we can, it starts to monetize quickly. Do you think just, art, do you think artists are going to get get paid better someday? Is that is is that with with wait on that legislation? Yeah, you know, I mean, is that like how how does that? Yeah, it's is, is that a fair question? I mean, I I'm just thinking. I I just pulled up an article the other day of uh, labels are. I mean, the streaming's coming into its own. You yeah. know, they're they're corporations are making money with, with streaming is is it going to happen for for artists you know i sure hope so yeah um i don't know because the the music industry is evolving at such a rapid pace i think well of course i'm, I'm limited because i'm only so i'm only 37 years old so i can't speak for you know the history of music but seemingly we have gone through more changes in the last 10 years mm. um you know, it used to be eight tracks, and then it went from cassette tapes, cassette tapes to CDs, CDs, and they tried the mini this thing for a little bit. That oh, didn't really work. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know, now there is there's really no. Well, I left out records like vinyl, but there's really is no physical product really right being used right now. People are still selling vinyl. Uh, that's starting to make a little resurgence among the, the college crowd. Yeah, the boutique thing. But yeah. what's happening now is something that's not even physical. And so, how money is distributed and how artists make money is 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 being uh, compromised. I think, in my opinion, I think it's going to change for the better mm-hmm. because it's already starting to happen where artists are taking the popular artists are taking things in their own hands. Yeah, I remember uh, a few years ago Taylor Swift said that she's I don't misquote it, but I think that she said she's not she refused to release on a certain medium and she's only going to release on this medium that uh-huh. monetizes for her yeah i think certain artists are taking stances like that yeah. and i think the more th- collectively that artists do that we start to bring the money back to us i really think it's going to end up changing soon 
That's cool. Yeah. This it, whole conversation is right. And it, there's a video that's been floating around, it seems like, for a month or so now. But it's it's an old it's old footage of Zappa. Mm. And he was he was like, Well oh, what killed that. what you know killed yeah. the industry is when they started hiring young hip guys to run the labels. He's like before <laughs> that, that you had yeah. these old, you know, cigar munching yeah. dudes that didn't know anything about what was going on, yeah. but they were willing to take a risk. They're just yeah. like, Yeah, put it out, see what it does. Yeah. yeah. And so that's you know, you were mentioning your age and everything yeah. and how in some cases you might not be aware of what's going on with a certain yeah. demographic so you're just like well yeah, yeah. try it out yeah i mean because the only thing you do i think there's a lot of sense to that you know? so so how, how does how does david uh, mr porter and uh, and uh, like how does the label stay on i guess i would ask how would it stay on target with um not being distracted by like what what is the the made the stick ethos of like you know because of all these possibilities, all yeah. these delicious possibilities of, of trying to have stream of income f- for, for the business. Sure. I mean, but so is, is there is there danger of like always like, oh, now we've become all of a sudden two, two years down the road, like, man, we kind of got spun off into this direction that like, how do you stay on point to be like, this is what we do. And this if is everything's what, important, nothing is. Sure. I think, yeah. well, as, as a company, one, one uh, thing that we have to dispel is that it's just a label. Yeah. So as a company, we look at it as almost like a uh, a multimedia uh, entity in yeah. the sense that we have uh, we acquired a company in Los Angeles called Heavy Hitters uh-huh. that so now we are able to do direct licensing with film and TV. Um, also in advertising as well we have a that that leg of the company in, in los angeles so it's almost like the made in memphis yeah uh, la branch <laughs> um we also are a commercial studio so there's incomes that come from bands rock bands gospel jazz bands artists you know hip-hop that want to come and record at the studio because it is a you know a five million dollar facility yeah, it's with a well-appointed facility yeah <laughs> and yeah. you know I, moving here from nashville i've recorded all the you know, major studios in Nashville and Made in Memphis Entertainment is very much uh, on the high end yeah. of of studio te- sonic technology. So, um, and then we have the the label aspect as well. And so, I think all those things uh, sort of uh, I was going to say coagulate. I don't know what that contribute, word can like. contribute. I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's probably right. a weird word. But anyway, all those things come together to sort of make. Uh, what we do as a company right yeah that's i guess i'm also thinking like reflect on my on my own uh, like like I, i'm working with someone right now trying to trying to do a country track and uh um and it's just you know it's just a homespun thing but you think like well now i gotta think like a lawyer for me like how are we gonna you know if there's intellectual property rights to consider like how do i go about that yeah. and i'm gonna look up on i'm gonna go google that i guess yeah. and then uh Anyway, you know, a lot of time can be spent just trying to. Well, I'm just should just sit down and get the song done. Yeah, right. I mean, if if I feel like if you have the bandwidth as an artist, um, to be aware of all those things, mm-hmm. that's going to do nothing but good for you. Yeah. Nothing but positive. Um, my experience, both for myself and other artists, is that the left brain right thing, right left brain right brain uh, phenomenon is real. And personally, I don't have that bandwidth to think of all the aspects of the marketing, the, yeah. the of all that stuff. And so, one thing that I'm realizing now is for this next push that I'm personally making outside of work is to put together a team of people 
that do not do what I do. Uh huh. I don't do what they do, but we all work together. Right. Um, and you know, we sort of are able to use. It's a symbiotic relationship where we're able to use the strengths and uh, of each other to to come with one good, uh, one common goal. Yeah. Okay. Well, you, yeah. You brought that up earlier. Where, but uh, with your with your album or just any project. That, yeah. I mean, yeah. You you could play that instrument, right? Mm-hmm. But you're, yep. you're you, you know, once you it's kind of liberating once you hit that that point in your life where you're like, yeah, I could do that, but yeah. I'm I'm totally comfortable with you know this other person who would be better at it, right? You know, right? And, and yeah, it's just it's a, for me it would be an ego thing to swallow for sure, but yeah. at the same time, like I said, it's it you get to a point in your life it's like I don't know if it's maturity or whatever, but it is kind of liberating to go, yep, you know what, I that person can do it better. Yeah, you're like, to do it. Yeah. what is this really about? Right. And I think when you answer that question, I wish I could answer that at an earlier age. Because right. there was there was a time I was strictly going at that gimmick. I knew that, okay, this is sort of what's separating me out there. So let me put some YouTube videos of me playing a bunch of instruments. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's, it's cool. And, you know, some people heard of me that didn't hear of me before. But at the end of the day, I don't, that's not what I want tied down to my life purpose to play as many instruments as possible right you know what i mean i to be able to do that helps because sometimes if if i'm working with a drummer and there's a certain interpretation that i have in my head rather than trying to verbally convey that i'm like man i just probably be easier if i just sure put sure, this yeah. down myself because i know exactly how i want the you know interpretation to be um but outside of that some people have just like a natural way of doing it. And I could try to do an impersonation of it, mm-hmm. but exactly. why not get the real thing? And I think there's something happens when, I guess people on the podcast can't see my hands coming together, but there's something <laughs> <laughs> important that happens. I'm putting my fingers together to, yes. to, uh, to symbolize the unity aspect. When those people come together and it's, it's uh, I think it, it can be stronger than you just doing all by yourself. Right. Okay, so is is David Porter still writing songs? Is he still carving out like absolutely? Right? I mean, is that that's important to him to still be a, a songwriter? Yeah, and the the cool thing about Dave not only is he writing songs, but he's also downloading to the next generation, myself, yeah. and even those younger than than M- me, mentoring, people. mentoring, yeah. yeah. Uh, which sadly just doesn't happen anymore. A lot of times, the older generation they get on the golf course, yeah. And there's like, well, I got my money. You know, David, his his thing has been different. He he's come off the golf course. You know, he's come off. You know, spending time on a yacht in Florida. Yeah. And you know, let me pour into the younger generation here. Uh, and so he's co-writing a lot. He's making a lot of lyrical changes, melodic changes to help some of the younger writers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe if you tweak this a little bit it'll probably have a little different effect if you do this and he's gives us that feedback you know weekly we have something uh that's called writer's round where all the writers get together they pitch songs in the room and they get feedback from david in the room and the cool thing that happens with that if say for example i'm getting feedback from a song i wrote and you're in the room listening you're gaining from my sure. feedback. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it becomes more of a communal thing. So it's it's really cool. And, you know, David, I can't speak highly enough about him in that aspect that his desire to for this to be bigger than him 
Yeah. Of course, it is his legacy, and his name is always going to be attached to this. But his goal is for this to be bigger than just, you know, him. He wants to pour and to the next generation. And in a way, when you do that, you, not to get too philosophical, but you sort of right. live on. Yeah. You live on in the next generation and in the successes that happens with it because you directly uh, contributed to that. I, I took his songwriting curriculum. Yeah. At, at, yeah. That was, um, it was, it was loaded with all sorts of goodness. Yeah. And um, it's a, it's a little difficult because at the end of the day, it, it's up to you to write a good song. Yeah. I mean, you can still be armed with all this knowledge, but, like you, you know, when I used to watch Stephen King being interviewed, he says, "Well, just don't write a bad book." Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's how I do it. You know, and really, <laughs> yeah. Just don't write a bad song, and it'll yeah. be okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. But uh, but it was, I mean, it, it's uh, the interviews with his his peers were fab. You know, Stevie Wonder. Yeah. Uh, it was all of it was great. That's cool. All right. So how do I make a hit record? So how 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 do we do this? I say, um, <laughs> hang on a second. Let me get a, let me get a pen. For, for, for those listeners who are like, all right, so how? how yeah, so uh, in, in, yeah, in five minutes or less, how do you make a, how do you make a hit song? Well, um, I think the hit aspect is subjective to a larger crowd mm. than you. So I think it requires some research. If you're going a commercial route, mm-hmm. do some research. Check out the top tens for a while. Yeah. Listen to the um, the changes that happens. Okay, why why do you and it makes your own inferences. Why do you think this track dropped from number one on the Billboard charts to number five? Why did this track move from number three to number one and it stayed at number one for the last three weeks? Start to make those on your own inferences. You may be wrong, but at mm-hmm. least you're spending some time analyzing that. And then um Go after it. Make sure it's something that you feel. Because if you don't feel it yourself, per, just my personal uh, opinion, you know, it's going to be hard to get other people to feel stuff that you're not feeling yourself. Yeah. So go hard after it, and then uh, be open to feedback from others, and keep trying at it. Um, that's if you're going the commercial route. If you're going the artistic route, the difference, in my opinion, between commercialism and the artistic route i think both can happen right uh but i think at some point you're going to have to choose the this is just my definition the commercial route is finding people where they are Mm -hmm. the artistic route is bringing people to where you are yeah that's good i like that Thank you. Um, trademark. No. Trademark. Hey, 2019. Hey, that, 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 that's, that's good. That's so good. so now if, if you're making commercial music, you need to find where people are, find what they're responding to, and make that music. Uh, that sounds easy. No. Yeah. Not really. And, you know, I, I took a composition class for a minute, and, and Dr. Woodard was a professor, and he was just... I mentioned this before, but he, he had the sliding rule. He goes, you know what? In making music today, and he's come obviously come from a classical. Even all, all disciplines or all different genres within music have this difficulty of like that's way out there, and this is consumable. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you know, like the like your very modern way out there classical music is difficult. Yeah. And then every Christmas we have the Nutcracker just killing it like it does every year. 
right? Yeah, you know? yeah. And he, he said, here's a you know horizontal left to right, and on one side you have fashion, which is very, you know, and then on the other side you have art. And he goes, if you can get that kind of somewhere in the middle, yeah, where it's still very artistic. And yeah. it's contingent upon how strong your artistic convictions are. Mm. If they're not that strong, and there's when I say that, that is not a um, a negative. Sometimes the artistic convictions aren't as strong, right? And so you you can be a little more movable. But if your artic- artistic um, um, barometer is like this is what is really me, then it's hard. You're less. Um, apt to let that needle that you're talking about yeah. move towards something that is not what your vision is. And I think what happens in most cases, the older someone gets, in most cases, this is not a rule, the older someone gets, the more you start to realize where your needle is mm-hmm. and you start to focus in more and more on that. Now you can do, I mean, that's that's for a lot of the artists I've seen. Herbie Hancock, of course he's done later in life he's done the collaborations with you know Christine Aguilera John Legend and some of the pop artists right but that's supplemental to the things that he's focused on for a majority of his career right you know Miles Davis was another one Miles his artistic barometer is like his convictions were very um, very strong and he's always reinventing himself yeah so Prince is another one you know, sometimes as an artist, when you get those hits, then every time someone sees you, they want to see, can you play Purple Rain for us? Yeah, right. Can you play that one song? And Prince was one of those. No, I'm going to I'm continue reinventing myself. I'm going to continue to do what I feel for the moment. And that's what he did. Other artists are cool with singing their hits for 20, 30 years. Yeah. Because it's making them money and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. And so it's not a better or worse thing. It's just where your artistic convictions lie. Some soul searching needs to be done. Yeah. All right. Jonathan, you got anything else? That was great. I think we covered everything. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go make a hit record right now. (laughs) Going to go full artist mode. I'm going to go full artist mode. mode. (laughs) Not a single diatonic track in the whole thing. (laughs) Never. Hamilton, thank you so much for hanging hanging out with us today. Um, um, looking for do, do you have a title yet or working title for the, for the new work personal work that's coming out yeah it's going to be called The Hope That's Set Before Us The Hope That Is Set Before Us awesome and uh, still working with Porcelain still working with Porcelain and, 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 and how, how, how recent is Jessica as far as an artist uh, Jessica Ray she's, she's very recent very so, recent um, I've seen her on Facebook and yeah, videos up and stuff yeah really we, cool we've been stuff. doing we're sort of pumping up her social media right awesome. now yeah. so we did some some cool videos her husband's actually Right, it's an amazing drummer. He's played yes. for, for Stevie Wonder, plays for Christina Aguilera. Yeah. Just, so he and I sort of did like a, he, well, the three of us did like a trio type thing, and we're sort of doing some mashups right now for her social media. She wanted to do something where she takes artists whose birthdays are in a month. So this past month was Rihanna and Ed Sheeran. Yeah. And so she did like a mashup of a couple of their tunes. Nice that fit in the, the Instagram time frame, which she also put on YouTube and sort mm-hmm. of doing that. So be looking out for her as well. Excellent. Yeah. Cool deal. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Emily. Well, I hope you took some good notes. Of course, you can just go back and listen to it again. Yeah, notes are really. But thanks again to Hamilton for sitting down with us. The guy's 
The guy's busy. Extremely busy. The guy. We, we actually recently, he gave us a tour of... We got to take a tour of Made Memphis uh, facilities. And dang. G- gorgeous. Lots of knobs and faders. <laughs> Lots of delicious transistors and transformers. And uh, um, and people are, are, you know, making wonderful stuff there. Like I said before, you can find Hamilton's Just Want to Say record on Spotify, uh, iTunes. You can see him on Instagram at Hamilton Harden. On Twitter. On He's Twitter. on the Twitters. And uh, keep an eye out for Made in Memphis music. Uh, yeah, be sure and check out artists like Porcelain and Jessica Ray. They are making great sounds, and Made in Memphis music is doing good stuff. See you on the next episode.